What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Walk-Ons Podcast. It's Friday, March 5th, 2021, and we've got a great show for you today. We are missing our boy Kevin Carlin this week. He's out saving the children somewhere in some God's green earth, but we do have our man Andrew Schuster on, and we're also going to have a special Walk-On of the Week here coming up. So, Andrew, what's up, man? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Happy to be here, and I know Michael Pittman's really glad that Kevin's not here this week. Yeah, Michael Pittman, if you're listening, your uh, your worst hater is is not here this week, so you're, you're safe. You're in a safe space. Uh, well, you know what? We got a we got a lot to get to. This is kind of a weird time, right? You you got spring training ramping up. You got the big conference tourney starting next week. NBA is at its midseason, NFL offseason. So we're digging a little bit here, but I actually think we got some great stuff to get to. So let's kick it off with NBA. We're at the midway point. All Star Games this Sunday. Obviously, we have made our our collective opinions known on what we think about the all-star game. It's pretty silly. But one thing I will say is the live draft that they had last night with Durant and LeBron was, was pretty sweet. Um, you know, I like anything that you can kind of get some guys on TV, start talking about their, you know, start talking about some things, giving a little ribbing here and there. But what, do, what did you think of, of the draft? Do you like it? Do you hate it? I mean, certainly it's just kind of a, a grab at eyeballs, kind of like the God awful, CFP selection show that they do for six weeks leading up to the college football playoffs. But what do you think of the draft? Do you like it? Um, I think it's entertaining and, and they actually created some headlines from the draft, which isn't always what happens. But I, uh, my biggest takeaway is I wish LeBron's team was the cast of the new Space Jam movie because <laughs> that is a legit team that an alien race would be scared to play. I mean, Giannis, Steph, Luca, Nikola Jokic, and LeBron are each terrifying in their own different ways and now they're going to be the starting lineup and i don't think katie's chance katie's team has a chance um yeah i mean i get he picked Kyrie first because that's his boy but realistically like Giannis said it best when he was like yeah game over we're gonna oh. win <laughs> i know i love that i love i love that that clip where he he hadn't looked at the teams yet and they tell him the starting five and he looked like a kid on christmas like are you kidding me i mean the, the one thing I will say, look, I look at these two teams. It looks like Team LeBron is going to absolutely blow them out. That starting five is unreal. You throw in a Paul George. You throw in, you know, Ben Simmons, Chris Paul in there, Damian Lillard. That is a team that is absolutely nasty. But the one thing I will say is last year when it was LeBron versus Team Giannis, I thought LeBron's team was absolutely going to just poo-poo all over Team Giannis. And it was actually a really good game. They did win, but it was, I think, 157-155. So, the one thing that I guess I kind of worry about is Team LeBron's got all those big names, the big stars. Durant's got a bunch of guys who just fill it up, right? Bradley Beal, Joel Embiid, those are the two leading scorers in the NBA. Kawhi Leonard, who's going to play some defense. Jason Tatum can get kind of wild. Like, I, if you can call an all-star game an upset, watch out for Team Durant. I'm, I'm going to say that right now. 100%. Yeah, it's funny that I just threw them under the bus, and they're literally like the best basketball players on the planet. They're just <laughs> – like yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, Bradley Beal, Joel Embiid, they're all Zach Levine and Donovan Mitchell is a garbage team. But I guess you look at this team, LeBron. It's like I I don't see them winning, but maybe they will. Uh, so you did mention Andrew. There were some storylines that came out of that one. One that I loved that I just thought was wild because I'm kind of looking at the draft. I wasn't watching it, but I was looking at it on my phone, and I see Donovan Mitchell still there in the last four picks. I'm like, okay, he's going to be a pick. Nope, last three picks. Nope, last two picks. And the, the explanation that LeBron gave just blew my mind. It's like, well, you know, if you're growing up, anybody who's ever played NBA 2K or NBA Live, you just – you never pick the Utah Jets. It doesn't matter if it's Carl Malone or the John Stockton teams. You just – you don't play with Utah, which I guess is fair. I don't – I can't remember the last time I've ever played with the Utah Jazz, but you can't tell me that Donovan Mitchell isn't a guy who deserves to get picked, you know, the top two or three out of those reserves. Absolutely. It was barely an excuse, and he said it with a smile on his face. It was it was this this biggest just like white lie like clearly it's a slight to the Jazz players and Bear makes a ton of sense he's the most overrated All Star in this whole game I mean I I cannot emphasize enough how little I think of Rudy Gobert as a player he gets dominated by the other top centers in the NBA I mean Joel Embiid dropped forty on him last week Nikola Jokic dropped fifty on him earlier this year he does a lot of great things but to I like he's always yearning to be put in that same class of the centers as those two guys and they just eat him up for lunch so. Go Gobert's go different, but yeah, Donovan Mitchell should have been selected much earlier. I really think on some level, you know, the Lakers are going like, yeah, the Jazz have the best record in the, in the West and the league, but no one's really taking them seriously as the legit best team in the NBA, and I think they're right to do that. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I mean, even, even casual fans are kind of probably pretty 
surprised by the fact that Utah Jazz are, are the number one seed in the West and they're playing really well. I think the other thing is, you know, it's maybe a bit of a slight, not only from the Lakers, kind of, you know, the, the potential rivals for the West crown this year, but also with kind of the recent chirping that's gone on. You, both Gobert and Mitchell have been in the news talking about the refereeing, which we may get to later. That's certainly been a problem, but, you know, guys running their mouths about thinking they deserve to win games or they, they won a game that they lost you know, maybe that's rubbing some guys the wrong way. I don't know. Yeah, no. And I mean, I, I think some of the stuff with officiating is kind of a different story and that's, you know, we'll get to it later. And I think they actually have some, some things to be genuinely mad about, but for just this isolated thing of the all-star game as a Nuggets fan, I love the jazz getting thrown under the bus in such a visible and nationally publicized way. I just ate it up. I loved it. Of course you do. Well, speaking about another polarizing guy in the NBA, Blake Griffin got bought out by Detroit, or it looks like he's going to get bought out. Uh, he's, I guess the big news is he's got interest from, quote-unquote, many of the NBA's top contenders. So I guess with that said, one thing that's that's kind of interesting, obviously we I certainly remember the high-flying Blake Griffin of the uh, you know Dunk City LA Clippers. Um, the dude's averaging 12 and, 12 and 5 this year. I mean, he's not – what he used to be and he's had a lot of injuries it certainly affected him um two-part question where does he end up in your opinion and does that does wherever he end up even tip the scales even a little bit because i'm not sure it does yeah i i think the, the name you keep hearing right now is the nets make all the sense of the world because why not just give them another all-star caliber player i mean they need it you know um, but yeah, I agree. I don't think he's really going to change too much, especially if he goes to a team like the Nets, where he'll be the fourth or fifth option. I've always thought of Blake Griffin as an extremely flashy player, a fun guy to watch, and he, he's a highlight reel in himself. But is he really a game changer? Has he really is he one of those players where his play unilaterally changes the outcome of the entire season for whichever team he's on? I don't know. Um, and you know, he was on Detroit where he was in a perfect situation to light it up because. They don't really have anyone anyone else on their team but Jeremy Grant, who's balling out. But, you know, they're a last-place team. He had every opportunity in the world to light it up. And instead, they were like, no, we want to get you off our team as soon as possible. I like Blake Griffin, but I don't see him really as a game-changing player. Yeah, I, I weirdly see Blake Griffin as sort of this he, – he's almost one of the guys who got left behind, right? We talk a lot about the NFL, the game evolving into this sort of high-flying passing league. Blake Griffin was always that dude who could just kind of manhandle you and fly over you. And when he can't really do that, I mean, he's improved his shooting, but he's just, he's one of those dudes who's kind of, he hasn't adapted the way the, the league has required you to adapt. And it's, it's certainly shown. I think you're right. He, he had every opportunity to shine in Detroit and he hasn't. And Detroit's in a full rebuild. So they, they basically said, we're going to give our guys, our younger guys more time to play. And, and that really is on nobody, but Blake Griffin. I mean, you, if you can't adapt, to this type of league and start, you know, bringing your game out behind the three point line, which he hasn't done it. You're not long for the league. And he's not, if he's not dunking over everybody anymore, which he's not, it's, you know, that's it, tough for him. And I, personally, I think, and this is not, not anybody is really talking about this, but Andre Drummond out, out of Cleveland, he's going to have a bigger impact wherever he ends up. If he is, if the Cavs are gracious enough to let him go, uh, I know they're still trying to trade him, but I think Andre Drummond has a much bigger impact with the playoff team than, than Blake Griffin does, certainly. But let's move on to another story that I actually love in the NBA. So James Harden, he left the Rockets, certainly in a, a kind of a bad taste in everybody's mouth, went to, went to New Jersey or Brooklyn, excuse me. The Rockets retired his jersey already. Now, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, certainly he was a great player for them, but he never won a championship there. I mean, the guy was just kind of, you know, he's an offensive genius, but never put his team over the top. I mean, what what is Houston thinking? Because if you're going to do this, you better retire everybody's jersey who's ever been a good player on any team. Like Anthony Davis, he should get retired. His jerseys get retired in New Orleans. Shaq with every one of the 15 teams that he played on. CP3, New Orleans, Charlotte, and the Clippers should do it. Uh, what do you make of the Houston Houston's thinking? I mean, I, it makes no sense to me, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's wrong to retire his jersey. It's just the timing of it that's so wacky. I mean, he's an MVP player there. He What's was the there. He was there for eight eight years. I mean, like he's definitely a player that you look at the annals of Rockets history and go, his jersey needs to be in the raft the rafters. Problem is, he was literally on the team like two months ago, and it, you know, it was an ugly breakup. Like. He, he did not leave a good taste in, in Houston Rockets fans' mouths, and now all of a sudden his jersey is already up on the rafters. Like, have you ever remembered a time where they're retiring a jersey of the guy who they're actually playing that night? 
that that to me is what's so weird about it. And there, I didn't feel like there was any pressure on the Rockets to do it so quickly. Like they could have waited until he retired, or hell, just wait till the off season and do it. And you know, at the end of the at the beginning of next year, it was just the timing of it all is what I went like. What the hell are they doing? Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense to me. I like you're right, the, the timing, but also, look, man, James Harden was a great player. He was good in Houston, but he didn't make Houston transcend it. He didn't get them over the top. And my opinion is if you're going to retire a jersey, that guy better have brought you a championship. And he never did. And, I mean, like, it's weird. Like, you don't see Oklahoma City being like, well, we got to the finals with, with a young Harden. Like, let's go ahead and retire that. I mean, there's not very many jersey numbers to go around as it is. I mean, you're going to – like, if, if you're following this cadence, if every team did that, guys are going to end up wearing their last – their initials on their on their jerseys instead of their numbers because you get, ran out of numbers. It's absolutely ridiculous. But – Whatever, that's, you know, that's just the, the Rockets being the Rockets. And also, really quickly, I do love this, too, because we're still on the NBA. The New York Knicks, the fearless New York Knicks, 18 and 18, they're fifth in the East. Now, that in and of itself, we're halfway through the season. Maybe they make noise, maybe they don't. But my favorite thing of the, whole, of the whole Knicks fiasco is those fans going crazy in the streets after they got back to 500. I mean, can you imagine? Not only that, can you imagine if – the Knicks get to the playoffs and not even win a series, but if they win a game, I mean, are we going to have a bunch of freaks like in New York, just ripping, ripping off all their clothes, jumping in the Hudson river, climbing the statue of Liberty. What, what's the deal with this? I, I know it's been a long time, but calm down. Yeah. Their expectations have just sunk to subterranean levels. I mean, <laughs> like, and it's so weird because New York such has such a great history of supporting franchises. I know Seamus would disagree, but the Yankees 27 world series like that, that's a city that knows how to like, prioritize a winning franchise but the Knicks have just been so so bad again they're only 500 yes they're in fifth place but that's just because Eastern Conference is so bad but they're 500 and they're acting like they you know they're they've just won the Super Bowl I know it's a different sport but you get what I'm saying it's like yeah. that video was hilarious because you're just like, this is not a good look for you guys. This is I not a good look. I absolutely love it. It's great to see those wacky guys, you know, doing something. But uh, yeah, it's it's the age old adage of act like you've been there before. And New York certainly has, but it's, it's been a long time coming for the Knicks. So good luck. Hopefully you guys can secure up the six or seven seed and go ahead and take a whooping from Brooklyn or whoever else might be, you know, Philadelphia, whatever. Good luck to you. But hey, let's let's move on to the big story in the NFL offseason. I want to talk about this a little bit. JJ Watt, he's with the Cardinals, two years, 31 mil, 23 million guaranteed. Now, aside from the fact that the Cardinals weren't even on anybody's radar, I mean, it was looking like Browns, Bills, like something, somebody in the AFC, maybe, you know, Green Bay comes back to Wisconsin, signs with the Cardinals. One thing I will say for him, I love that the the photo that he, you know, he he went to some great lengths to Sort of keep that under wraps and not have the media spoil it. His, you know, the the tweet about source me and with the Cardinals uh, shirt on. I like that. But the one thing I will say is, I don't know how big of a signing this is. I mean, for from an NFC West quarterback standpoint, yeah, it's a little bit scary. I mean, you're kind of like shaping into the SEC of the NFL. Like you're just going to be so beat up within the conference that by the time you get to the playoffs, like nobody's healthy. But the other thing, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but sportsinjurypredictor.com. It's an awesome site. This is a site that says Watt has a 91% chance of getting injured in 2021 and most likely miss five games. Now, the dude's missed 32 of the last 64 games in four years. That's 50%. I don't really know if I care about whether or not he's going to stay healthy because I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that. But does this move move the needle at all in the NFC West? Cause it seems like everybody's going absolutely insane about it. And somehow it's going to put the Arizona Cardinals over the top. Yeah. I thought I was going to have a hot take on this. I was going to come in and saying, I think this move makes zero change to the power dynamics in the NFC. No. It, if anything, it's just a headline grabbing story. He's a great player, like definitely three time defensive player of the year. That's a big deal to get, especially for a franchise like Arizona that's lacking in star power more years than not. But like, I didn't sit there and go, oh, my God, the Cardinals are immediate contenders. If anything, this might win them one more game, maybe half of a game. Like, I just – I've never looked at J.J. Watt as a guy that can take over and win you a, a football game single-handedly because he's more about knocking balls down at the line of scrimmage. He gets some sacks, and he makes his presence felt in the run game. But, you know, the defensive lineman or defensive player I always think of that just unilaterally won a game and won a championship by himself is Vaughn Miller just because he – 
had so many strip sacks against the Patriots and Panthers that year. But J.J. Watt, especially 10 years in the league, is not going to impact the game that way. So it's a fun signing, and his free agency was probably the most wacky headline garnering thing I've ever seen out of someone, probably just because he knew it was the one time he'll have that opportunity to be a you know high-profile free agent. But when he signed it, I just went, that's kind of weird, and that doesn't change anything, just not a single thing. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm being honest, I, I love J.J. Watt. I'm a huge J.J. Watt fan. Uh, you know, I'm a Wisconsin football fan, so he's he's one of the best that ever ever came through those halls there. Um, the guy's a great player, obviously a two three-time defensive NFL MVP. But, you know, it, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, right? The guy's 32. You're giving him $23 million guaranteed. It's There's 11 guys on each side of the ball. I mean, you, you can't just tell me that, aside from just the sort of shock value of it and how exciting it was that Watt's going to suddenly take a team like the Arizona Cardinals and, you know, make them a legitimate championship contender. I think that's, that's silly. And the whole, you know, celebration sitting in a ice bath in Wisconsin, which was cool, but the dude, he he's made more of a living lately out of what he does on Instagram than what he does on the field. So I guess we, we will see. And as a Niners fan, I certainly hope whoever's behind center there under center uh, for the boys doesn't get his head ripped off, but maybe JJ Watt won't even play in those games because he'll be hurt. We'll see. I will uh, say really, one thing, yeah, go ahead. the one thing I will say though, to undermine my own argument, potentially <laughs> the one team he was on before is the worst team in the league where you just, your potential goes to die. So I will say, I don't expect the J.J. Watt move to mean anything, but now that he's suddenly on a team that's not just going to waste his potential, I could be wrong. I think there's like a 10% chance I'm wrong. I just want to throw that out there in case anyone's like, well, he was on the Texans. Of course they weren't winning. Like just, I want to acknowledge it at least. Well, I'll tell you what, for a team like the Arizona Cardinals who made a huge splash with DeAndre Hopkins last year, got better on the defensive side of the ball, Kyler Murray, who's supposed to be the truth. I mean, that's one of the reasons why J.J. Watt came over there in the first place because you trust Kyler Murray. I mean, they, they didn't even make the playoffs last year. So they, you want to tell me there's, there's a place where talent goes to die? It could be Arizona. We'll see. I, I, you know, prove me wrong. We'll see. I live in Arizona now, so you know it's nice to see that stuff firsthand. But really, really quickly. NFL cap situation. We're going to reduce the cap down to 180 million. There are a ton of names that are going to be changing hands here. It's going to be an absolute frenzy. And somebody who loves free agency, it's going to be great. I I just love it. I adore the offseason. But what sort of view? We've got we've got guys like Kyle Van Noy, Jared Cook. Certainly, the Eagles are cleaning out the wide receiver room. But maybe what's who are you pegging as sort of the most the biggest or most surprising cut that that's kind of on the chopping block here this season? Well, I wouldn't call him surprising, but he's definitely big. And he's, I already just named him. I think Von Miller is a perfect candidate to get cut. I really, for the sake of just keeping the best defensive player that franchise has ever had, I want to keep him. But I also understand an $18 million contract versus out of an $180 million cap from a guy who's gotten eight sacks in the last few years just isn't viable. We have a new GM. I think he's a really prime candidate and he might have an even bigger free agency frenzy than JJ Watt did. So while J.J. Watt was dumping himself in frozen lakes, Von Miller's going to be running around his chicken farm doing some wacky social media. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to see that. And I actually, you know, it, to bring home that point of being a little bit of a homer, I, I, I think possibly the biggest cap casualty and one I, I would actually like to see is Jimmy Garoppolo. There's not a lot of dead money on that cat uh, on the books there for the Niners. I think it's time to start fresh. You know, a lot of the, the conversation around – is he, you know, is somebody better out there? Certainly a Deshaun Watson, potentially not, not Kirk Cousins. Don't get me started on that. Not Kirk Cousins. Don't give me Kirk Cousins at all. Uh, but I, I certainly think Jimmy Garoppolo with sort of that low impact on the cap could be, could be on the chopping block if they can't get him traded. We'll see. Um, well, let's, we've got a, a very special thing here. Now we mentioned our boy, Kevin Carlin is, is off the books this week, but we're replacing him with somebody possibly even better. I don't know. Well, he's going to have to prove himself, but we got to walk on to the week. It's my boy, Seamus Fennedy. We worked together at Jimmy Kimmel for years and years. We actually started a day apart. This is a guy who loves sports probably more than anybody I know. He lives, he breathes it. Seamus, what's up? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, and no, my, my presence is but a small consolation for Kevin's absence. Uh, Kevin, we all, we all miss you and your pony prowess. The last 30 seconds of the show certainly will not be the same. Yeah, to our gambling friends, sorry, there's not going to be any pony, <laughs> uh, pony talks on here. But <laughs> Seamus, it's good to have you on, man. And listen, I, I, first and foremost, I want to 
thank you for joining us. I know you've got a lot of thoughts on it. But what, what do you want to kick it off with? How, what's your introduction? Well, I was, I was listening last week to you and Kevin as you went uh, blow for blow on the uh, Wentz Pittman Jersey <laughs> saga, and uh, I, I respected I, I, res- <laughs> I respected Kevin's stance. Not the best uh, first exchange between receiver and QB, but uh, no, I'm with you. Wentz definitely needs to grow some thicker skin. He's uh, reportedly had issues. You know, you hear you've heard rumblings in the Philly blogosphere for years about him taking criticism, trouble dealing with tough coaching with John DeFilippo, Mike Pro, and some other guys. Um, there were reports that he flat out was refusing to uh, accept play calls at times, including this past season from Doug Peterson. Um, some anonymous teammates calling me egotistical, that, that infamous report that uh, interrupted his uh, morning Bible study a couple years back. Uh, the, the only thing worse than his self-awareness seems to be his pocket awareness lately. I mean, it, so it's a really good point about Kevin, but the first impression but if uh, Wentz is, you know, that has that fragile of a psyche that he can't handle Michael Pittman denying him his jersey number, then, you know, I don't want him leading my huddle if I'm a Philly fan or an Indy fan or whoever. So maybe this will be good for him. You know, pandering times uh, is over. Time to grow up. Good. So you're siding with me, so I won't have to cut you off. That's perfect. Yeah, just for just for this instance. <laughs> we'll butt heads later. Great. <laughs> I. I got to say, I've never seen a player that just like no one cares about generate so many headlines. Like, be honest. Do you guys know anyone who's a legit Carson Wentz fan? Maybe some North Dakota state grad that I'm sure you guys know hundreds of. Absolutely. Um, Like he had that one great like three quarters of a season. And ever since we, you know, we treat him with the same level of media notoriety as, you know, some of the best players in the NFL. It's so wild to me. Yeah. yeah, it's like being a conservative in California. Like you might have those beliefs, you might actually like Carson Wentz, but don't you dare tell any of your friends because you will not live that down. <laughs> like yeah. I, I can only imagine. Like, have you ever, like, a scenario where you're at a party or something, and it, you know, certainly adults shouldn't be wearing jerseys that it is, but it, put yourself in like a college kid's shoes. You're at a party, you've got some, you know, some basketball jerseys, some NFL jerseys that kids love to wear because that's the thing, but. Can you imagine if somebody showed up in a Carson Wentz jersey? Like he's getting dunked in the pu- in the punch, like almost immediately, right? Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, I, I think Carson Wentz still has that that sense of him. And back to you know your point, like three quarters of a good season before he got injured. I mean, he uh, I think he still views himself in that light that he's you know the, the the top top QB in the league, MVP contender. And this past season, he was you know by some metrics the least effective passer in the league. So. The truth is he lies somewhere in between. So it's, it, it, the, when the dust settles in Indy, I mean, he'll hopefully he'll know his place. Yeah, he better figure it out and know his role because he is Carson Wentz at the end of the day. But, hey, go ahead, Carson. Carson, show, prove me wrong, man. Go ahead and throw 50 touchdowns next year. We'll see. And then I'll be on this podcast and I'll say that I was wrong. I have no problem with that. But at this point, yeah, Carson Wentz is the persona non grata. <laughs> All right, let's move over to the MLB. So – Otherwise known as Major League Baseball, for those of you who, who don't like acronyms. But uh, we are kicking off spring training. It feels really, really good to watch some baseball on TV, see some fans in the stands, which is awesome. But I want to go to one of our new segments here. It's called On the Spot. Now, we've each got sort of we're, – we're sports fans at the heart of it, right, who like to talk sports on this podcast. Why not? But we've got our allegiances. But the idea of the On the Spot segment here is to put you in – an uncomfortable position to ask you questions about maybe taking the other side of things, maybe from a rival side, or maybe talking about your team in a negative light. So Andrew, I want to start with you. You're a big Rockies fan. You're from Denver. That's your boys. Tell me why the Rockies won't finish in last place this year. So they won't finish in last place because of their pitching, which I know is everything that the Rockies are always known for is having great pitching, but Two years ago, when they were legitimately in the playoff hunt, they were pushing the Dodgers for that 163 potential to win the NL West. They had their best pitching staff ever. And not just for Rocky standards, they had a great pitching staff for MLB standards, where Kyle Freeland came in fifth place in the Cy Young. Herman Marquez had a great year. John Gray was living up to his potential. And all those guys are still there, and they've had a couple down years. But if they were to suddenly just kind of get back to the MLB mean of VRA and, and the bullpen's not giving up every single lead that the Rockies get, I think the Rockies are at minimum would be a 500 team and would definitely not be last place. And yes, they just traded Nolan Arenado and what was probably the greatest trade in MLB history from their side of things, but they still have Charlie Blackman. They have a bunch of young players that they essentially gave all of the second half of last season to develop. So these aren't, you know, green guys that have never played in the MLB before. They're still young and inexperienced, but at least they got playing time last year. And 
They have Brendan Rodgers, their top prospect, is going to be a second baseman. They have some good hitters, and obviously playing at Coors Field, you're always going to have a potent offense. So I'm not for a second claiming they're going to win the NL or anything, but a few things could go their way where they're not in last place. Yeah, it's also helpful to have the Diamondbacks in your division as well. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. All right, let me follow that up. You mentioned Nolan Arenado. Why will Nolan Arenado win the MVP this year with St. Louis? So he is actually my legitimate pick to win LMVP because I think he's finally in a situation where he's going to be given every potential to thrive. I think the Rockies, you know, obviously playing at Coors Field gave him his hitting uh, an added boost. But if you look at his splits, like he hit well on the road too. He was not a Coors Field effect guy. And I think now that he's just in a much more positive environment and he's surrounded by like other professional baseball players, I say that because – the Rockies are not always the most professional organization from the top down. I think now that he's in a winning culture, he's going to be given every opportunity to thrive. I'm 100% in on me. He's going to win an MVP this year. I like it. There you have it, folks. So the Colorado Rockies have the best pitching staff in, in the NL, and Nolan Arenado is your MVP winner. I like it. All right, Seamus, let's go, let's go to you. And a little bit of background about my boy here. He's a diehard Boston area sports fan, Bruins, Red Sox. Celtics and dot 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 USC, but we'll leave that for another day. <laughs> While we're on the topic of MLB, Seamus, tell me why the Yankees are the favorites to win the World Series this year. Oh boy, oh, I knew this was coming. All right, so so we all see their projected lineup. You know, DJ Judge Hicks. Uh, you know, not the best three hole hitter, but uh, got to break up those righties somehow. Stanton, Voigt, Glaber. I mean, they're they're baseball's version of the Bond Stars. You know, that's. Second Space Jam reference of the show right Garrett there. Huge. Yeah, nice. As far as the uh, as far as the rotation goes, I mean Garrett Cole's obvious clear cut ace, one of the best pitchers of the last five six years. Um, he has been susceptible to long ball the last couple seasons, especially playing in that uh, that wiffle ball park they got over there. But uh, th- I think they're going to miss Tanaka more than they realize. But they do have some options to to replace him. Uh, Corey Kluber he returned to pass glory this year. Um, it was kind of a freak injury that took him out last year anyway. It wasn't like, you know, structural or anything like that. It was a comebacker. So they've replaced uh, – they picked up Jamison Tyone, who, um, who's got a career 367 ERA, um, probably goes up a little bit in the AL East. But, you know, he's, uh, he's going to probably be their, their number two guy this year. So we'll, we'll see how he gets acclimated. Um, they have, they have uh, a lot of young arms coming up. Clark Schmidt, who's dealing with an injury right now, uh, they got uh, – Obviously, Davey Garcia, we saw a little bit of last year. Luis Severino's on his way back. We don't know. I mean, from their perspective, all-star break they're looking at, I'm guessing. Um, uh, you got Domingo Herman, which is uh, – he's been in the, in the news for all the wrong reasons. Uh, you know, the, yeah. The, the, <laughs> yeah, in so many words. Uh, I mean, it's already kind of been uh, – this the apology, I don't know how well it went over with teammates, but guys have already, you know – Luke Boyd said, like, you know, he's on thin ice and we've sure, heard some there's a second chance, right? Second, third, fourth. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you're good enough. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we've seen in these, in these situations, you know, it's uh, as long as you're, as long as you're productive enough to justify rostering teams will continue to do so. I mean, Hal Steinbrenner said of uh, Chapman's incident in 2017, you know, sooner or later we forget, right. That's what we're supposed to do. It's like, uh, so Got if, uh, if, if Herman is, uh, is, you know, in his 2019 form, um, pre suspension, um, they're going to keep him and he's going to be in that rotation. But if he, you know, has an ERA north of seven, like he did in the winter league, you know, they'll, uh, they might send him packing. So, um, so, so what you're saying in a nutshell is that the Yankees are going to win the world series because you're able to name their entire 26 man roster. That's what you're no, saying. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I may have been tipped off that this question was coming. Uh, so Let's say that, Seamus. To, to no. sum up, to sum up, don't uh, break it, the fourth if wall. they uh, if they if they miraculously stay healthy and their rotation all performs like the best version of themselves, and if uh, you know Chapman doesn't blow it in the playoffs again, um, they get, they do need to find some balance for that lineup, and I think Cashman knows that they need to get uh, they need to get like a you know good contact hitter in the middle. I don't think I don't think Hicks is the guy in the three hole. Well, let me ask you this: Who's the most important player? on that team like who needs to have a huge year to bring that team over the top because they've, they've certainly knocked on the door andrew mentioned it earlier 27 world series world series titles they are the yankees the pinstripers but who's the most important 
piece in that team, whether it's the rotation of the lineup that is going to be key to getting them back to where they expect to be every year. Yeah, I, I mentioned I mentioned him as a, you know the acquisition from Pittsburgh, Jamison Tyone. I think he's the guy that they really they really need to perform this year. Um, they need him to stay healthy. Uh, they need him to you know put, put the past arm troubles behind him. You know, they, a lot of the guys in their in their rotation are kind of reclamation projects, like lots of Tommy John surgeries. Yeah, in that, uh, yeah, they're taking that a locker room guys. It's going to be interesting. All right, here's a bonus question for the Yankees: Aaron Judge, he fixed that gap in his tooth. Is that good or bad for his season? What do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, the old adage, you know, uh, look good, feel good. I don't know. I mean, it was kind of his kind of his thing. I think there were mixed emotions on it. Uh, people, they were like, that was kind of his token. But hell, if I'm, you know, if I'm that uh, that well paid and I got uh, a messed up grill, I'm I'm going to get it fixed myself. So uh, I I can't can't hate on Aaron for getting that fixed. Yeah, he, he he struggled a little bit last year. He had a, he had a hot start and then struggled. Do you think he you think he comes back and and has a breakout season? If he can stay on the field, I mean that's another that's another issue. He kind of he plays a little bit with uh, reckless abandon in the outfield and uh, is kind of prone to some some nicks and some and dings. And uh, you know he hasn't played a full season since what 2017. So if uh, it, it as every as everything with the Yankees, I think it's contingent upon health. They have struggled to stay healthy, and that has ultimately kind of done them in. Whether uh, whether they're not you know on all cylinders you know into October or or, uh, you know, missing guys throughout the course of the season hurt to hurt their seating. Um, they've, they've just, uh, they've struggled to stay healthy. I don't know what it is with that, with that squad. They're certainly one of those teams that kind of quote unquote looks good coming off the bus. Right. But you got guys like Stan snake bit, they're snake bitten. Yeah. I mean the, yeah, the injury, I mean, certainly, uh, at third base Anduhar getting hurt last year, but I mean, yeah, enormous guys like Stanton and judge when they swing that hard, it's, it's hard for them to play 162. It's just, it's tough to see them on the field. All right. I'm going to give you one last one and I'm going to go to your, your beloved Bo Sox. Tell me Seamus, now that all three starting outfielders from the 2018 world series team are gone. Tell me why the Red Sox are a better team now without them. Well, because we have uh, some outfielders from other world series teams. Uh, we got, we got Alex Verdugo, uh, Kike, who I guess is going to be an everyday player. Kike, uh, you're basically the Dodgers East. I, yeah, it's yeah, well. When I mean, when you make a deal with a team, you kind of swap a bunch of players. So um, I think, uh, yeah, 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 somebody kinda. money and like like the Rockies did to the Cardinals. Like here, take take uh, an MV, a guy who's going to be an MVP, and also take like. $50 million or $40 yeah. million. Dollars. Yeah. Great. How is this outfield better? Well, they are, uh, that's, <laughs> I didn't say how's the outfield better. I said, how is losing those three players from your starting outfield to the world series team? How, how are you a better team without them? Well, it did replenish the farm system to a degree. Uh, I, I think we have, we have some guys that, uh, that, that can, that can get it done. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not this year. Uh, we'll see with, if, Bobby Dahlbeck and Chavis can, uh, can, can stick in the lineup this time without, you know, prolonged slumps. They're both kind of prone to, uh, just to, to some whiffs. Um, but, uh, the, they, the squad's not, uh, it's, it's not the same star power. There's a lot more depth, I would say. Um, a lot, a lot of kind of cornered the market on utility guys. Um, I, you know, I, I see Kyan Bloom's, I, I see his vision, um, kind of, getting guys in there like, uh, you know, a Marwin Gonzalez, a Kike, uh, Danny Santana, who they just picked up, get guys in there that, um, can play multiple spots and play the matchups and, you know, don't, don't rely on, um, don't rely on, you know, the just, just superstar talent to get you through kind of, kind of roster building, you know, uh, from a, from a depth perspective. So, uh, I will say they are a deeper team. I won't necessarily say they're a better team. There it is. Deeper, not better. That's nice. Yeah, That's see, what I, see what I did there? That was a, a sidestep. Well, you want to ask me anything about the Dodgers? Because I feel like I've put both of yeah. you guys on the spot. I don't know. Yeah, since I know you bleed blue, Rye, um, what, uh, how, how, would, how would you say the, uh, the Dodgers um, just bloated payroll? How is, that, uh, how is that good for baseball? Well, it's not good for baseball. Well, okay. It is good for baseball. No, it's not good for baseball. I don't know. One thing I will say is I think look, it's easy for me to say as a fan watching, you know, watching from afar, right? I think the Major League Baseball in general is a is a league that could use a few wins. Um, you know, certainly with with the league kind of going at this 
pretty much 18 month long thing with the MLBPA trying to get the length of the season, trying to get all this stuff going on. You've got the, the president of the Mariners putting his foot in his mouth. Um, it's a league that needs a big win. And I think spending money is what's going to do it. You see what's happening in San Diego, the excitement over Fernando Tatis Jr., some of that money being spent. Look, the Dodgers are our big market team and they, they're in LA. It's basically LA, New York. I mean, certainly before Major League Baseball put a put a salary cap in there, um, you know, it was one of those things where you could just you buy whoever you want and you buy a championship. Now it's a little bit different, but the Dodgers have money, so how can you how can you say they they shouldn't spend money, right? I, I do think it's pretty interesting. I mean, in terms of what they did with Mookie Betts last year, uh, they've got Clay Bellinger out there, Max Muncie, Will Smith, their catchers coming on. I mean, it's a dangerous team. They're probably the favorites in the NL again, which just it's painful to say. But I, I do think, and you mentioned this actually with your take, is losing certain guys like Pedro Baez from the bullpen, losing guys like Kike Hernandez. They obviously traded Alex Verdugo. Not to say that there are holes there, but I do think those are guys that make a team better. And you can spend money as much as you want, and you can, you can buy high-priced free agents, but that doesn't always equal success. Right. And so I think that's interesting. Um, I, not to say that the Dodgers aren't probably going to win the NL West and probably win the NL in general and win the pennant. But I think their spending is good for baseball because it sets a precedent that if you want to win, if you want to beat us, you better spend your money and you better you better be like the Padres. You better have your homegrown talent. You better sign them. You better make some good signings. You better make a good trade like St. Louis did with Nolan Arenado. You, if you want to win, you have to beat the best right and the dodgers are the best and the better they're the best because they spent the money but they spent the money in the right way you didn't just throw the money against the wall and say all right well i hope these guys are going to be good because there's been a lot of problems with that so i will say the dodgers spending is good for baseball because it makes everybody else have to be up to par and the one thing that i will say about major league baseball in general which i think is a problem is there are teams like the indians and the mariners certainly those are in the al but there are teams across the board probably half the league that are more concerned with saving money, especially after the pandemic and losing fans than actually spending money. So that makes it even more of a big deal that if, if, if half the league is out and they're looking to save money and rebuild, if you want to have any chance this year, especially in the NL, you better spend some money and you better compete with the Dodgers. So that's why I think it's good for, the, for Major League Baseball. So thanks for the tee up, Seamus. That was really nice of you. But hey, any party shots? We're gonna we're gonna let you go. This is our walk on of the week, my man, Seamus Fennedy. But any closing thoughts for you, bud? No, I, I think you're. I think you hit the nail on head. That last thing I was trying to throw you, and uh, you almost uh, almost tried to reverse it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, they did. They have kind of inspired a bit of a, an arms race in the in the NL, um, especially. So um, yeah, I think that that's good. It kind of makes kind of makes for fun. I don't care about the Dodgers. Oh, Your chance for a soapbox, Seamus. Let it no, happen. I'm, <laughs> No. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm good. Thanks right. for having me, though. Well, you look beautiful, my friend. Good to see you as always. Thanks, Seamus. All right, that's our boy Seamus Fennedy. Let's let's get back into it here. We we got sidetracked a lot of a lot of Boston Yankees talk. It's just Dodgers talk makes me quiver here. But uh, okay, so I promised our one of our producers that we wouldn't do this, Andrew. But since it's you and me today, we get to do whatever we want. Let's talk Duke UNC again. Now, Mr. UNC Honk over here, we got a big game tomorrow. And this game actually has some, some serious ramifications. I mean, we're basically talking, I don't know if we've ever talked or if anybody's ever talked of a Duke-UNC matchup this late in the season as essentially being a bubble game. I mean, somebody's bubble is going to get potentially get burst here. What, what's your take on this game? Who do you like? Does it actually mean, is, is the loser out of the tournament? Um, well, I think if Duke loses, they're certainly out. And they should already be out. They, like, Obviously, I'm biased. I don't like Duke, but they're 11 and 10. They're only one game above 500. How is that team still even in contention right now? Uh, I think if UNC loses, they're in a very bad spot, especially because they lost at Syracuse this week, another bubble team. I think yeah. had they won that game, I don't even think we're talking about it this week. I think regardless of what they do in the ACC tournament, they were safely in, and now they have to win on Saturday and probably at least win one game in the ACC tournament to be in. They're in a much better spot than Duke is, but a Duke loss would certainly help Duke and it would also put UNC in a very precarious situation. And yeah, you're right. I don't ever remember a time where both teams are literally fighting for bubble, bubble positioning. I, I like that there's some stakes. Um, I wish they were different. I wish we were fighting for who's going to be the number one seed in the tournament, but it's not that case this year. And yeah, 
they, uh, I think both teams have something to play for, though, so it should make the game interesting on Saturday for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think the only thing that I would say about that is we've seen stranger things happen, but I absolutely love the conference tournaments, and you know, I have bigger ramifications on the smaller conferences, right? You get the automatic bid. You can get a team that's like 11 and 20 on the season. They're, they're making their way to the dance. But I think the winner of this team, ha- excuse me, the winner of this game, Duke UNC, has a really, really good chance to ride that momentum into the ACC tournament and possibly win it. I really, really do. And I think that would be, I don't know if I, I hesitate to say it's a good story, right? Because nobody feels bad for the UNC Dukes of the world. But I do think this this game could be a catapult game and and have somebody get hot like like a UConn did in big in the Big East tourney a few years back with Kemba Walker right where they were kind of languishing. I mean they they won that tournament they still got an eight seed and then they won it all. So this I'm not going to say by any stretch of the imagination that they're going to make noise in the tournament in the NCAA tournament, but I do think this this game has a lot of ramifications in terms of who's going to actually make a run in the ACC tournament. Hundred percent, especially because UNC just bottled Florida State last weekend. I mean, yeah, they had, that was they had impressive. a horrible loss against Marquette, and then they have the best win of the season against Florida State. And you're sitting there, there going, "Okay, the Marquette loss, they learned from it." Then they go out and they lose to Syracuse, and they're just one of those teams that can play with anybody. And I mean, they can beat the best teams and they can lose to the worst teams. It's, but I, you're totally right. There's stranger things have happened. There's been many years where a team gets hot in the ACC tournament and they win it all. And suddenly it changes the entire dynamics of the bubble teams that were there. Cause now one of them is going to be out. It's just, we're just going to have to see what happens, but I, I kind of enjoy that there's actually ramifications this weekend, which the first matchup was kind of lacking, even though it was still a really good game. Yeah. R- really nice to see Duke and UNC go at it with, with something on the line. Cause that's never the case. Uh, all right. I want to move on to a little nugget that I saw, and this is just kind of off topic, but I, I, can't not talk about it. So Devin Booker, star from the Suns, all-star. He's a homie. He's a great, great player. But he recently tweeted, and I don't know where this is going, but he tweeted, quote, I've seen a couple white shorts where you see someone had a little accident on the back and he got a little poop emoji there. Now, I don't know what's going on here. Certainly we know. I wish Seamus was still on here with us because uh, everybody knows about the great Paul Pierce poop gate. Uh, back there in the playoffs, he had to get wheeled out. I mean, that was that was certainly a turtle head uh, worthy of of a, of a shrine. But what do you make of the, this tweet with Devin Booker? I mean, where did it come from? Uh, yeah. Also, I'm thinking like you know Lamar Jackson, right? That where he had to run to the the locker room like mid game in one of the biggest games of the year against the Steelers. What what's Devin Booker getting at here? I mean, who, is he coming at somebody? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I hope this is just a really bad attempt at making a joke of him saying I'm so good I make guys shit their pants. I, I don't I don't unless he's really just like I really don't like this one guy and I want to start the rumor mill that he, you know, is pooping his pants every game. There's I don't really know what you're trying to accomplish. Are you just letting fans know like, hey, we've all been known to just go number two when we're shooting for two? I don't know. Yeah, I'm just that nasty. I mean, I don't know. Listen. I, I'm no pro athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I played soccer, baseball, and basketball up until high school and into college for soccer. But I've never once I, – I had one incident where, you know, maybe just a little something out there where you're like, ooh, that was close. But I've never once even been close, aside from that, to defecating myself in a game. I mean, is this like – is this more of a rampant thing than we're – because I started looking into it, which, boy, my, I hope my wife doesn't find my search history, but, like, NBA players pooping themselves during the game. I mean, it, is there something to this? Like, what What do you even – what are you doing? Like, how do you even play with that going on down there? I just I, – where, where does it go? Like, if you poop your pants. Like, yeah, right. All these guys wear those compression shorts, so it's kind of just, like, stuck against your body, and you got to get, like, you know, like one of those – Things that you use on the East Coast to get all the ice off of your, uh, you know, off your windshield. They got to like just pry it off of your backside. I don't know. Well, I think this just explains why he was questionably ejected um, earlier this week. <laughs> he told the ref, he's like, I got a turtle head and you got to get an excuse for me to I get, get out, of out of here, man. Even if you have to eject me. <laughs> so when he bounced the ball at him and you're sitting there going, why was that worthy of, a, of an ejection? Now we know. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I had to hit that. I came across that tweet and I was like, what? I don't know what the context is. I don't know if somebody asked him a question about it, but it seems like a very odd, deep pull for somebody like Devin Booker, who's way too good to be doing that kind of stuff. But hey, it's it's funny and it's it's good fodder for the show. So yeah, and 
for those listening, you you will get this content every single week. This is what yeah. the walk-ons bring you. Is this really in-depth, high-profile sports hot, of only the best content, possibly smelly once in a while. But yeah, it's it's hot, hot off the presses content. Absolutely, no doubt. All right, well, let's move on to one of my favorite segments. We've got our douche of the week, and I also want to want to make sure that everybody knows that we you know we don't want to poo-poo anybody here. Uh, wink, wink. But we're gonna have our douche of the week, and then we're also gonna have our dude of the week. So, Andrew, I want to I want to kick it off with you. Who's our Who's your douche of the week? I mean, I think you just got to give it to Les Miles or Mickey Calloway. I mean, holy cow! Thick, yikes! I just like guys. How How are not to justify any of that behavior? That behavior is disgusting. Like it should. There's no place in it. But how are people continuing to do this? Like I just you, like how do these guys continue to do this? And also, how do the the institutions they're a part of continue to let this happen? I just, I don't understand, like Mickey Calloway does this in Cleveland. He has an affair with a woman and her husband finds out and he tells the Indians and, and they cover it up. And then another team goes and hires him to be their manager. Like that's what blows my mind is just these guys continue to do it and they continue to be enabled. And it's just how have people and not- he gets another that? job with the Angels. Yeah. Like, and, and apparently, by, I mean, depends on what you believe, but it seemed like the Angels knew at least part of some of the, these stories before they hired him. Yeah, there's I mean, no way- yeah, there's no way a professional baseball team with the amount of resources they have in their search process doesn't un uncover these things. So it's, it's an active effort to just not not care about them or not or overlook them. Yeah, Mickey Cal and he's he's not a good enough manager to. First and foremost, you don't look the other way when it comes to you know allegations as serious as this. But you sure as hell don't do it for a guy like Mickey Callaway, who is by all accounts he's just kind of a a, a middle tier type guy, right? Type coach. Yeah. And, yeah. You don't make those concessions. I mean, it's just another black eye for the sport. Like we, you said earlier, like you have this, the Mariners thing, the MLBPA, they cannot just get out of their own way. And it's, yeah. it's a collective effort. Every team is doing their part to just be like, what's the worst possible PR thing we can, we can top this week. You know, it's just it's snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Once again, it's unbelievable. That's a pretty good one. Well, my dish of the week is Dan Snyder. Everybody knows who Dan Snyder is, what he's done with the Washington football team. I mean, the guy has been in the news for all the wrong reasons pretty much every single month of every single time, every single year that he's owned the team. But recently, I actually love this. So somebody, quote unquote, somebody has been buying up Facebook ads lately talking about what a great guy Snyder is and how, how much he gives back to the community. Now, I don't have a whole lot of takes on this other than just are you kidding me? Is this anybody other than Dan Snyder or Dan Snyder's kids? I don't know if he has kids. I God, I hope he doesn't. But <laughs> like the guy, it's like the burner account, right? Like all these guys, you know, the Durant obviously got busted on a burner account. I'm sure a lot of guys have burner accounts. But how do you go up buying a Facebook ad talking about what a great guy Snyder is and how much he gives back to the community after everything that has been published so widely across every ch media channel? about how bad of a dude this is. I mean, sorry, Dan Snyder, you're like, you, you're not fooling anybody. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's a douche move. You're the douche of the week. That is what it is. What do you think, Andrew? Do you, what's, what's your take? I just picture him looking at his bathroom mirror, wiping the clown makeup off his face and being <laughs> like, no one will know that I did this because I have such a sterling reputation and everyone adores me, which is why I had to go buy the ads to pretend that everyone adores me. I mean, he's not fooling anybody. And the, the fact that we're sitting here and going, this is something Dan Snyder would do, just says it all. Like, if that's your reputation, yeah. just go ahead and you just, yeah. We don't yeah. even need to elaborate. Everyone, if you know anything about the Washington football team, you know you know what Dan Snyder is. Yeah, and to that point, even Joaquin Phoenix's joker is on probably 15 levels higher than a Dan Snyder would be. So, yeah, that's a douche of the week. Well, I also got one. We got our dude of the week, and I think it's actually only fitting that our dude of the week, first ever dude of the week, is in fact a dudette. It's Maya Chaka. She was hired as the, as the first black woman to join the NFL's on-field officiating staff. I mean, she's been a part of the NFL officiating development program since 2014. She's done bowl games. She did the Senior Bowl this year, Pac-12 games, XFL. She knows what she's doing. And I think, first and foremost, good for her. She absolutely deserves it. And from my standpoint, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're male female, if you use the they, them pronoun, if you're black, if you're white, Asian, purple, orange, I really don't care. What the league needs is the best officials they can get. I mean, we've, we've kind of hit on a little bit about how bad the NBA officials have gotten. The NFL is not far behind. I mean, it's absolutely a, a freaking joke. And you got to give me the best or give me death. I mean, you hire the best of the best. That's what you do. You're the only, you're the preeminent 
sport pro sports league in the world. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll leave the Premier League and, and those folks alone, I, I guess. So it's the bit, it's the most preeminent sports league from a professional level in the U.S. And you have you have every responsibility as a league to hire the best officials. And if it's a woman, absolutely great. I don't care if it's if every single game is it's all women referees. If they get the calls right, we don't have to come back after every single game and say, "Well, they missed this. Well, how how could they possibly possibly miss this?" I don't care. So good on you, Maya Chaka. You're the dude out of the week. Congratulations. Andrew, you got one? Well, she definitely deserves to win. So I'll, I'll throw his second name in with no intention of them being having accomplished a better thing than she did. She 100% shout out to her. But if, if I'm going to give another name, I kind of threw him under the bus earlier, but I want to acknowledge this part of what he did this week, which I really enjoyed, was Donovan Mitchell finally telling the NBA enough is enough with these small market teams being treated differently than the big market teams. And I know he's probably like, I'll get fine and I don't care. And I, I say this, I don't like the Jazz, and I threw them under the bus earlier, but they're in the same boat as the Nuggets where they have to do anything and everything just to get this little bit of slightest bit of respect. And this week in that Jazz Sixers game, the officiating was objectively horrible. It was like, There's it was no awful. way that the NBA can come out and say anything other than we either are so bad at our jobs or there's something going on where we don't want these small market teams to, to succeed to the level of the big market teams. And he's totally right. The officiating in a lot of ways, you know, like there's the running joke. Oh yeah. The Lakers are going to get every call. We, we, we laugh, but there's some truth to that. And so while I'm not a jazz fan by any means, we threw him out of the bus earlier. I like that. He actually actively called them out and like didn't mince words said, you are, you are not treating the small market teams the same way you treat the big market teams. And if it takes enough players to make that a visible thing, and it starts to get to the point where the league is actually kind of under fire. Like that's how you actually get them to suddenly be like, we need to stop doing that. Even if it is, yeah, objectively better for business to have the Lakers and the Nets be the finals, no doubt. So kudos to Donovan Mitchell. I don't like the jazz. I do enjoy him though. Um, Rudy Gobert though. Absolutely not. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Cl classic Schuster. I'm going to roll, roll the bus over you, maybe back over once or twice. Then I'm going to pull you out, give you CPR, bring you back and then bring you back up. I love it. That's sweet. All right. Andrew, you're the soapbox today. You been, I got to give this to you because you have not been shutting up about this Hornets announcer that is just on fire. And let, let the record show that I'm a big just Gus Johnson guy. I don't know anybody who knows who, who is better at the game of broadcasting than Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson, here he goes. But you've got somebody who you think might be better. Who is it? Oh. The, the Charlotte Hornets have to be the doormat team of the NBA for the last 10 to 15 years, especially when they were the Bobcats. But the thing that they have succeeded at, unparalleled success, is my man Eric Collins, their play-by-play -play man, paired with Del Curry. That's right, the father of Steph Curry. But Eric Collins is the most electrifying play-by-play -play man in the NBA. And now that LaMelo Ball is there, we're going to start seeing way more Charlotte Hornets highlights pop up, whether it's on SportsCenter or Bleacher Report, what have you. Get used to the name Eric Collins. Go home and watch the highlights of him on YouTube. It will have you want to run through a brick wall. It will have you wanted to become a Hornets fan, even if you're a diehard, whatever fan. He is like objectively the most exciting play-by-play -play guy. And everyone in Charlotte knows that the problem is Charlotte just is a blip on the map in the NBA, but that's going to change. Eric Collins, go watch him. There it is, man. I love it. Eric Collins is the best thing to happen to the Hornets in, in years. Uh, so maybe since Michael Jordan, which is actually kind of a funny thing, but I think also LaMelo Ball is he's turning that team around, man. That guy can play. All right, guys, that's all we got for today. Thank you so much for for the join for joining us here. Andrew Schuster, as always, you're the man. Seamus Benedict, our walk-on wonder. Love you, bud. Thanks, everybody, for watching. This is the Walk-Ons 3521. Take care. Thanks, guys.